Ho, 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 and hello and welcome to a festive episode 12 of Arg My Optics, a podcast where two, no, three adult men discuss, overanalyze, and generally take a kid's cartoon and media franchise a little too seriously. The toy and media franchise in question usually being that of Transformers. So for Christmas, I mean, it's actually November, but for Christmas, we are Arg My Optics. Thought you, our beautiful listeners, deserved a very special present. And so today, we are tackling the big one. The mother load of Transformers fandom. And that is... Transformers the Movie! Whee! <laughs> yes, today, I, an ancient evil, a planet-chomping, horny-headed bastard known as Orion Gear, I have summoned you all here for a purpose. And by you, I of course mean our splendid listeners, and also my turbo-revving young punk of a hero-in-waiting, Virtual Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. Till all are one. (laughs) In addition to that magenta prick, we have, back by popular demand, a man who is here to pass judgment on you all. Guilty or innocent, he'll feed you to the Sharktacons anyway. That's just how he rolls. Welcome back, Michael Quintazon. Oh, hello. Nice to be back on ARG, my optics, uh, Bardo, Grano, Wheat, Nitty Bomb. <laughs> and to you too. So yeah, we're only going to ruddy do Transformers the Movie, the 1986 classic animated feature. The first and, as any sane person would say, best Transformers movie ever made. A landmark in Transformers history in so many ways, it's uh, hard to know where to start, really. So let's go with this. Michael, you're the special guest. Uh, what has been your experience of this movie? Do you see it when it came out? Um, I saw it. I mean, I, I basically definitely, I definitely first saw it on VHS. I didn't see it at the cinema, and I think this came out in '86. Am I right? Yeah, but the, but the VHS came out in '87. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, hundred percent. My parents didn't take me to the cinema to see this movie. I can't remember if I was asking for it or not, but um, I think maybe if I was, they certainly weren't interested in in sitting through it. But um, but I, I rented it a lot, um, and I'm like very very familiar with it to to the point where like I don't know if this movie is good. Like <laughs> uh, I I love it, but it, like, it, it's it is hard to be subjective, isn't it? Well, I'm a pretty pretty much the same for me to be honest. I don't remember it coming out in the cinemas. I actually went to see Care Bears two the movie that year, which you know wouldn't have been my first choice. I wouldn't have thought. But yeah, I didn't see it until it came out on video, the like, you know, the video gems copy, um, round my mate Oliver Henshaw's place, and we watched we watched it until well, the tape didn't snap, but it felt like we watched it until the tape snapped. Okay. It was uh, it was huge for us. Dave, mm-hmm. I imagine your experience was quite different. Um, yes, very very different actually. I didn't see the movie until. Uh... I want to say 2003, maybe 2004. Wow. Around that time. Uh, obviously, because of the kickoff of the Unicorn trilogy, I was starting to get into Transformers. Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's one random trip to Tesco's or to some sort of supermarket. We went down the movie aisle and there behold was the DVD for Transformers the movie. And little did I know what I was about to stumble into because this was not the Transformers I knew at the time. But um, I'm pretty sure I, I, I couldn't find the, the one, the DVD I'm talking about, but I'm sure on the box it actually says that it's, it's happening in 2005. Yeah. Was it was it one of the cheap DVD, like the cheap ones? It was, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the... I don't know what special edition one. They hadn't done that one yet. No. But um, at the time I was like, wow, 2005, that hasn't happened yet. That's, <laughs> that's, uh... It's only a couple of years off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's still time. Giant robots. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I got the DVD and I watched it religiously for a long time. Because um, growing up, I had a double combo TV in my room, so I had a VHS and a DVD player. Mm-hmm. And I would just watch that every night. To the point where I went to school and did a, a natural movie study on Transformers the movie. Really? And I actually got I got an A for it. So I... <laughs> Well, this podcast better be good then. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I loved it as a kid as well. I mean, I watched it over and over and over. I thought it was brilliant. It was a huge part of what Transformers was to me because up until that point, I mentioned this on previous podcasts, I loved Transformers, but I read a lot of the comics, didn't see a lot of the TV shows. So this was this was animated Transformers to me, really. And in a way, I think uh, it's good, really, because it's some of the best animated Transformers, G1 anyway, there is. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a step up in quality of animation. Um, compared to the show. Well, yeah. And they, well, they spent considerably more money on it. Mm. The budget was around about five or six million. Wow. Which, at the time... Quite, it sounds quite high. Yeah. Yeah. By comparison, that's about six times more than it would cost to make, make 90 minutes of the, of the regular show. Wow. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess also for me, it was it was sort of one of the things you could see, like because the car. I mean, and I think we discussed this last time I was on, but the cartoon was like you could only watch about there was six tapes you could get, yeah. and then maybe you could sometimes go around someone's house that had Sky, and it was like on. <laughs> you could lucky you see like half an episode, and that was like sort of my experience. So this was like one of the, you know, and it, and it was it was. I mean, I think it's it's better than the the cartoon, like by and large, mm. than the TV cartoon. So I just watched it a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and it, I mean, we'll get onto it later, but it was sort of canon in the comic book, so it kind of worked. Hmm. Well, there's a comic book. There was, I think, there was a sort of ab- adaptation in the comic. There was. There was a, a, I think it was a three or four part adaptation made by Marvel Comics, which used an early version of the script. Ah, yeah. yeah. I don't think I read it. It wasn't completely bang on, but yeah, it it did, and it got released here in the UK as a um, a winter special. And I missed it. I totally missed it. I didn't even know it existed um, at the time. Actually, it's one of the few Marvel comic, Transformer Marvel comics I have. I have that. Well, one is one of them. Wait, are you talking about the original 80s one? Are you talking about the redo that happened by IDW? Not the IDW one, I don't think. I definitely think it's an old one. Oh, okay. Well, there you go, yeah. That was based on an earlier version. There's a lot of that going on with this movie. People getting early versions of things and getting things wrong. It's why some of the toys are different colours or designed slightly differently and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's just talk about what what do we what do we like about the movie? Everything. <laughs> really? <laughs> Every moment of that film. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm you know, as an adult, I still love it, but it is still pretty. There's some there's some big cracks. It's, it's quite clunky in places, and there are some serious plot holes. But I still love it, obviously. Well, I thought. I mean, it's, this isn't sort of a. I mean, I I think it's it's basically very fun, mm. and it has it has like I really enjoy the tone of it, and and I think the animation is is by and large, you know, certainly a higher standard than the cartoon, and it's like quite nice to look at. Like most, this this there's, there's some some like bad frames in it actually. I think yeah, but. Usually it looks pretty good. Mm. Um, it, it's inc- the pace is absolutely breakneck. I really rewatched it obviously before this, and I really <laughs> noticed that like even more this it's time. It's incredible, really. Yeah, it really is. Like it feels like it should be a two and a half hour film. The amount of stuff they cram into mm. it. But I, again, like I, I find it kind of it doesn't it doesn't spoil my enjoyment of it. But I think it's probably because I'm so familiar with it. Like I, I don't know if you showed it to somebody who'd never seen it before. Now they might be like, I, I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does it, it moves along at an incredible pace um because i mean i i watched it twice and i rewatched it again this morning and i just got up a little bit early before my other half and thought i'll just put it on and it was finished before she got up like it was that quick yeah, so it's 85 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so it, it really is including credits <laughs> yeah but yeah i i, I think yes yeah, it was an, a really kind of big epic kind of action drama space adventure great music great animation yeah. mm-hmm. i think just yeah comparing it to the cartoon as well and you know we we watched some of the headmasters cartoon last time i was on this mm-hmm. and and actually i watched a little bit of one of them today which is something i don't know, suppose we might get onto but um it's just like the the kind of the you know the it, it, the animation is sort of much more fluid and it's sort of really really well storyboarded compared to the cartoon. It was just like spent a lot more time on how it looks. Yeah, and, you know it's it's like it's sort of got more imaginative sort of well they're not shots but they you know they're the sort of frames and it's uh, yeah it's it's I think it's quite good looking and it is as, as you were saying like effectively it's an anime it's sort of an anime movie and mm. I think this is it the same animation studio that did the cartoon or is it not? Because I was a bit unclear on that. It is. It's Toei. Um, Toei did the. They did uh, the first two seasons and a bit of the third season. Yeah. There's a bit of a, a bit of a kind of funny story about that in a way. Um, so Toei were employed by, I think it's Marvel Productions or something, and Sunbow or whatever the people who are making the TV show, to animate it for the first two seasons, and during that time. Uh, we should, really should know his name. The director of this movie, Nelson Shin. That's it. It's the word that is in my head. Nelson Shin was like a, a a producer on Transformers and the director of this movie. Yeah, and he just started his own animation studio in South Korea called Acom. Right. And funnily enough, wow. they took over animation right. on Transformers after the movie. Ah, so they changed to a different. But it's sort of it's all him, kind of, is is what we're saying. Well, the, yeah, the animation, the Acom are quite well known for being not very good, and uh, yeah, right, right. They <laughs> took over animation on the final two or three seasons, pretty much, and there is a marked difference. They're, they're very. Yeah, it sort of just looks more anime. It's like things like the explosions, like the way the human characters are drawn, and just you know, I think a lot of just the style of it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I I just think that it's far less incoherent than the TV than the TV series is. There's none of those kind of what the fuck leaps of logic that happen 
all the time in, in G1. Yeah. It's fast, mm. but it does kind of add up like most of the time. Yeah. And when it doesn't, it's sort of fun. And it's just like, I don't know why this is happening, but yeah. I like it. Yeah, I mean, there are little things you can pick out and go, I don't know why that's happening, or how did they know to go there, that kind of thing. But there's nothing where, you, like, in, G, in G1, reg- regularly, people who just do something that has no explanation at all. And you just go, what? what? Mm-hmm. Why, why have they just done that? No, there's no reason. No one cares. Uh, move on. Uh, there's none of that. Yeah. I mean, I, this is a bit of a digression, but a, a number of years ago, I I bought some videos of Thundercats from a charity shop, and this was probably, say, when I was like twenty three or something like that. And I just I was just kind of curious. I was like, I remember thinking this was fantastic when I was a child, mm-hmm. and I put this tape on, and, <laughs> and I was like, the intro looks great. You know, the intro's really they obviously made those look nice. And then I got to the actual cartoon, and I was like, oh my god, this is garbage (laughs) it's like meandering directionless lazy and like badly drawn yep yeah Uh, and and that i mean there are some standout episodes of of generation one but on the whole quite a lot of it was a bit a bit like that i'd say the the voice acting was pretty good but otherwise the animation was a bit on the shop and it's just i mean and i guess this is something we'll get onto as well but i think you know, they saw it as a toy ad, mm. and they weren't like particular. I think there were people involved in it who kind of had an idea that they were making something for kids and making something that could be like popular. But I think the you know the powers that be didn't care. I don't think. Yeah, they never really gave it much budget. They were like, eh, it doesn't matter. Let's just get the characters on screen." <laughs> something I noticed rewatching it, um, and I don't know whether this happened throughout this throughout the first two seasons. I'm gonna have to check. But Scatman Carruthers, uh, Jazz. His his irreverent turn of phrase during this movie is quite funny. Like he says things like, "Any Decepticon shenanigans happening in your area?" Oh yeah, yeah. And then later on, he's going, <laughs> "He's like, oh, there's a ginormous, weird-looking planet just showed up in the suburbs of Cybertron." So I was like, "Oh, it's, oh, it's, just, it's just yeah, it's just a weird-looking planet, and it's eating us." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's very jazz. I mean, I guess they're, they're probably used to fairly weird stuff happening. Yeah, I guess. Basis, but I think even this was a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit much. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we maybe, should we uh, talk a bit about Unicron. I mean, I thought he was amazing at the time. I thought it was unbelievable having a kind of transforming planet that would eat other planets. Yeah, and the whole the whole way the movie starts, like that's something that really stuck with me. And I think you know, mm. as a child, it was a little bit scary. I would say, um, like especially that intro. Mm. It's a very like dark opening. Yeah, um, with the Vince Dicola music and everything as well. Yeah, yeah. and then it's sort of used to these ro- you know these robots who seem like some kind of peaceful, groovy robots, and then their planet gets eaten, mm-hmm. and that's sort of it. And it's just a, it's just a kind of it's a horrifying. It's almost like cosmic horror. Yeah, Flo- and he just floats on to go and eat another planet. It's like, <laughs> that, that's that done. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this is a thing now. <laughs> I really like that at the beginning because it does that dark opening and then it just kicks right into mm. the theme song. This, you know, this upbeat version of the theme song as well. Like, yeah, just... kind of heavy heavy yeah, metal well, version <laughs> by, uh, by Lion, I believe. Yeah, it's like, don't worry, kids, don't worry. <laughs> Nothing else terrible is going to happen in this movie. Yeah, and there's a bit of... Um... There's a bit of voiceover, isn't there? There's a little bit of. Oh, there's two different versions of that. Some, some. Oh, copies of the there's film one with do. a Star Wars style crawl, isn't there? 
Oh yeah, that wasn't on the version I watched. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm more familiar with. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's we're going to talk about the similarities, similarities to Star Wars later. But that's that's kind of a superficial one. They just, but they, but that wasn't on every version. It's not on the versions mm. I watched. For no, example. that's a, on a later version, as far as I understand it. The Star Wars style opening crawl was added to the original UK VHS release by Video Gems. Not only did someone feel the kids, and more likely their parents, needed a bit more exposition, they also felt reading it might be a bit too hard, so it was also narrated. This version also includes the narration at the end of the movie, reassuring the weeping children that Optimus Prime would be back. But uh, yeah, when it opens, you have that opening, and then you have the... I, I noticed it's, it's for the first time, actually, I've noticed this. When it opens, and then you have the opening credits, and it goes through the cast, as it were, mm. you, you notice that all of the, the people that are being named are the new characters. There's no Peter Cullen, there's no Frank Welker. Yeah. It's just, you know, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, people you've probably never heard of, like the guy who plays Blur. I've not heard of that guy. Oh, yeah. So yeah, like uh, Robert Stack as Ultra Magnus, Lionel well, Standler as Cup. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean Robert Stack, I think, is some very old school Hollywood guy. You know, he's just yeah, so, sort of been in loads so of Lionel Standler movies. as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But then there's some... uh, John Machita as a uh, Blur, who apparently was kind of some kind of minor celebrity at the time. Right. As being, he was well known for being able to talk very fast. Yep, and that is, I mean, that is Blur's <laughs> thing, and I, 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 Blur's. A, but, I mean, Blair's a funny one because I certainly think when you when you get I remember particularly from the toy range and I I think Blur Cup Hot Rod were always presented as like a trio and I think they were sort of the same class of Transformer. Yeah. But then in in this in the movie Blair is hardly really in it. He has about three lines, I think. Yeah, he's uh, he's he kind of he's in it towards <laughs> the beginning a bit, and then he has a bit to do at the start. Yeah, and this is kind of in the background for the rest, isn't he? Really. I think I kind of recently. I, I watched rewatched this a couple of years ago, and I was thinking like, did Blur get killed in the battle, and I didn't notice or something? Because he doesn't really <laughs> seem to be in the movie that much. And then so I sort of realised I was like, no. And then he like, you know, when they're on the planet of junk and stuff, he's he's still there in the background, but he's just, he's, he's just, there's just a drawing, like he never says anything again. No, and there's a mysteriously absent Dinobot as well. Snarl is hardly in it at all. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I think it's the pace. I mean, I don't know if they, they plan to use that character more, and they just like had to rip through it too fast. Yeah, because he is, like I say, he's he's mentioned in the opening credits, but you don't see much of him, to be honest. Yeah, like you get the the scene with him loading the Di- Dinobots onto the shuttle and so on, and that's about as memorable as he gets. Yeah, and that's he's gone. That's probably it's probably why, isn't it? Because he well, couldn't get them <laughs> on the shuttle, so he just got cut out of the movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how you know all those kind of. The big names of the first two seasons are not mentioned at all, and they just go straight for. Well, I suppose the guys who are actual famous actors and actresses, as it were. Yeah, I mean, it could even be an actors' union sort of thing or something like that, where it's just like they get top billing. You know, it'll be in the contracts who gets yeah. top billing. This is all like plotted out, and they will just all bigger, bigger fish than than the original voice cast. Yeah, if Eric Idle and Leonard Nimoy and. Uh, Judd Nelson are in your movie. Actually, Judd Nelson, I mean, I think he was a pretty big star uh, at this time. He'd just come off doing The Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire, which are both, like, I think, big movies and quite, like, kind of iconic 80s movies. 
And then really after this, I don't think he did anything like that well known. <laughs> I would struggle to, to think of I think of it might have killed his career. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Did it? Did it? Like, no. I, I, I don't, I've, I've never looked into it, to be honest. In case you were wondering, no, Transformers the movie did not kill Judd Nelson's career. He went on to star in many movies afterwards, but never quite hit the dizzying heights of his short-lived Brat Pack success and fame again. In recent years, he has reprised his role as Hot Rod in Transformers Animated, Titans Return, and The Power of the Primes. Yeah, I think he was just sort of a, a bit of a flash-in-the-pan phenomenon, Judd Nelson. That's my, my guess. He did another movie... It must, it must be years later. Did you, did you ever see the film Steel? I have seen Steel. Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the bad guy. He was a bad guy in Steel. That's the only thing oh, I yeah, remember him no, not I remember seen. that. I remember that now, yeah. But he sort of sunk without a trace, I think, kind of after that. Well, not not quite without a trace, but he didn't. He never really sort of made, made it as the big star that he maybe was being pushed as. <laughs> it did happen to quite a few of those kind of brat packy people though didn't it yeah i think a lot of them just weren't that good <laughs> yeah exactly yeah or, or they or they hit the the booze or the drugs a bit too hard oh yeah <laughs> disappeared for a while rob low mm. yeah exactly <laughs> but i guess all those people weren't gonna weren't credited because they all died in that first also season. Also true, like, they yeah. They weren't expecting to bring them back. They were trying to get rid of those those characters. Yeah, they weren't planning to bring them back. So uh, Yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose maybe we should talk about that now. I mean... Why not? Yeah. It's that was huge. And as far as I know, most kids weren't expecting it. No. Yeah, how did it affect you two? Because, like, it was a completely different experience for me. Like, I guess you already knew about it. Did you guys know he, they were de- they were dead before you watched the film? Like, yeah, it, got, it, it, it gone so. it had gone round the playground several hundred times by the time I actually <laughs> saw the video. The, the video, wow. but no, it was shocking that they would kill off. Well, not just a bunch of the main characters from the first show, but Optimus Prime himself. It was kind of crazy. Well, I, I think. I think when I first saw it, this is kind of how I remember it playing out. This is a long time ago, but, you know, I mean, I think, and actually I, I checked it this time. I think the first guy to go down is Braun, and it's like seven minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> then, like, immediately Prowl as well. And the, the scene of Prowl getting shot is quite horrifying as well. Like, his eyes go on fire, and he sort of, like, he looks... Yeah, that whole, that whole scene is quite disturbing. Yeah. It's the thumbnail for our podcast. He's got Yes, got, that's what it is. <laughs> he's got like a, a kind of orange smoke coming out of his mouth. Yeah. He's, he's gone. I think I would assume when I was watching this as a child, I was just like, well, they're robots. So I guess they just get fixed. Nope. Mm. <laughs> no. Well, Ultra Magnus does. That's only in the, that's only in the series. No, all these characters that we've been watching are now just gone. And I find it like it's it's a really it's an interesting it's a really interesting choice I think when you look about look at it especially with hindsight of like sure I get it like you want to introduce new toys you want to see, mm-hmm. you, know, you see this as a toy and you want to sell more, more toys but I don't I don't really understand why they wanted to make it so brutal yeah mm. I, I, I and apparently there was there was some pushback from the writers who wrote because uh, uh, the writer of this movie is uh, Ron Freeman yes and um. He did say that he was strongly against killing Prime, but they, it was mandated down from Hasbro and so on. They were like, "No, we want to want to clear the boards, bring in the new yeah. guys. We've got a brand new line of bigger, better toys that we want to sell to kids." 
move these old ones out that we're going to be discontinuing them in time in a, in a short while his reason for it is really interesting actually as well and i mean he he's the sole he I think he's the sole credited writer on the movie yeah although there is some contention over that i assume that there's loads of input from the studio but mm. <laughs> um he he um he said specifically that the reason he thought killing prime was a bad idea was because the writers had gone out of their way to sort of set prime up as a paternal figure in the show yeah so it was gonna be very upsetting for kids to see him be killed off and i, I think you know I, I guess he he's probably right you know that's probably why it had such it's like why would this have such an impact at the time just seeing a toy robot being killed off and it's because i mean clunky as the show was they'd obviously i think they probably had some reasonably clever writers and you know we also like the, the guy that did all those tech spec things yeah they, you know the, the, the writers went out of their way to make these characters that people that kids would like and they sort of knew how to do that and um the, this, the hasbro didn't understand it at all they didn't understand the product and they didn't understand why it was popular yeah absolutely mm. i think it, i think it was i think ron friedman just said um to physically remove daddy from the family wasn't gonna work yes <laughs> and then he went on to to write you know a scene which is quite i mean you could write him out you could even kill him off in a much less sort of unpleasant upsetting way and yeah. I, I i guess you know once it was mandated that he had to write this he was like well i'm you know this if you're going to do this you've got to take it the movie's got to take it seriously as well yeah and i think that's re it's really well handled yeah it's a great it's a great scene i think and and mm. what um and the way he turns gray is is sort of you know that that re i found that really creepy when i was a kid yeah it is mm. it's it feels final you know you see all the way through Generation One and many other TV shows, you see people shot with lasers and that, and they just get yeah. up, sort of get up, or they they put their arm back on or something. <laughs> just physically turning him grey. It's kind of like, nope, that's it. Yeah, it's like it's done. And I kind of knew that. I think when I saw it as a kid, I knew that. Um, I was yeah. like, yep, yeah, he's done. And yeah. I think I had to. I remember. That, I think the first time I watched it, I had to ask my mum what the word "fatal" meant. That was something like. Oh, oh I think Perceptor says, "I feel the wounds are fatal," and I, I had to ask my mum, "Like, what does fatal mean?" <laughs> I think not. Not quite. Perhaps believing that this was this was really happening. Yeah. No. No. It's, it was. It was shocking, and I think it worked the way that it did yeah. it anyway. And I, I think what it does for the movie after that scene is it, it kind of really accentuates the sense of peril that they're in. And it's like they have removed Daddy from the family and now they're on mm. their own and they've got to work everything out. Well, the way Prime's sort of come back... Go on. He's, he's come back and saved the day. Mm. And that's sort of his job. That's what, you know, the, the, we see that in the first scene of the movie, the first sort of big scene of the movie. And then, like, now he's gone and it's like these guys just going to have to sort of muddle through. Mm. And they're being absolutely, like... You know they're, they're they're being hunted down like really brutally by the Decepticons. Like they're really in a tight spot, and I think it kind of accentuates that sort of sense of peril and like you know yeah. sense of peril they're in. Their darkest hour. This. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the fact the fact that everyone is just dying left, right, and center is like previously, like I said, a Decepticon would shoot you, you'd fall over, you'd get back up again, it'd be fine. No one ever died. And then yeah. in the space in the space of like the first twenty minutes of this movie, everyone dies, and it's all of a sudden, oh right. So if I if if they get hit by something, they're gonna die. That's it. Like, yes. I mean, God knows what happened in the twenty years between the end of season two and the movie, because no one died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're all still there. Yeah. Everything suddenly gets very fatal in the movie. <laughs> 
the everyone's weapons get seriously upgraded. As I say, I find it interesting that no Decepticons die. It's just the Autobots. Well, no, they did, but they got reformatted. Well, they didn't die. They just were well, really, really... They, 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 <laughs> yeah, they were just kind of messed up. Yeah, like, mm. I feel like they could have been patched up if Starscream wasn't such a dick. You know? yeah. I, I, I like that scene in a way, actually, because you've got this sort of, you know, the Optimus Prime scene, he's dying on this sort of, I guess, a robot hospital of some kind, and <laughs> there's a child crying, they're all being like kind of really nice and respectful to each other, and then you cut to the Decepticons, and they're just having like, this <laughs> like, gross fight. <laughs> it's all like complete little shits. And it's like, this guy's been their leader for like, well, I, I guess technically millions of years. And they're just like, nah, you, you've kind of, your time's done. You've got You're too heavy. Up. Like, we're just going to throw you away. It's too much weight. So I wouldn't mind a crack at this myself, to be honest. It's, it's good characterization. Yeah, and even like super loyal Soundwave is like, oh, I, c- I could be leader. Why not? Soundwave, yeah, Soundwave sort of tries, but then he doesn't put up too much of a struggle when Starscream chucks him out the door. No, no one does. No. It's just kind of a, uh, okay. Nah, it's, just, it's, just it's just how it is. They're like... <laughs> He's weak, he's done, forget it, next. Yeah, get rid of him. I think the scene, I mean, as much as I like the character of Starscream, and I think he, he is, you know, he will be missed after this, that's a great scene. I, I love the scene where Starscream gets um, gets obliterated. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a very, I think it makes sense, it all sort of makes sense for his character, like, he finally gets what he wants, and like, <laughs> Megatron just comes back and kills him. It's like, yeah, it's a good, it's a good arc for Starscream overall. And it's been mirrored over and over again throughout Transformers history since... Starscream will almost get what he wants, and then it will just all fall to pieces. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the whole coronation scene—I mean, it's a yeah, it's, it's an iconic scene for a lot of people. It means that every Starscream toy, well, doesn't come with a cape and a crown, but if it doesn't come with one, everybody wants one. Mm-hmm. It's it's a big thing, and you, you've got the uh, uh, the uh, Constructicons with their little horns. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> There's a few little animation moments in this movie that are very cartoonish, and I noted that one. And the other one is when uh, Devastator hits Sludge on the back yeah. and he has his like googly oh, yeah. eyes. It's very strange that those. There's a few, I think there's a few other little things like that. It's quite yeah, a... the Looney Tune eyes and so on. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why that was there, but but fine. I I don't hate it. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. But yeah, I was going to say in regards to the writing, Ron Friedman wrote a couple of drafts, and one of them had everything in it that Hasbro wanted. Um, including the you know wiping the slate clean and uh, moving bringing all new characters so so on but it was like a really mass it was like a massive incoherent mess so one of the story editors a writer and story editor on the on the movie in the end uh, called Flint Dill they submitted an alternative version of the movie called The Secrets of Cybertron which involved Optimus Prime heading to the center of Cybertron oh, yeah. and finding out that Cybertron is a massive transformer and right. then using the Matrix to awaken this massive Transformer to fight Unicron. Oh, yeah. That makes sense in a way, does it? Sounds very familiar. Yeah, but they turned that down. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 no. We want, we want to get rid of Optimus Prime. No. According to Flint Dill, aspects of his scripts, The Secret of Cybertron, were worked into the final movie and refers to it as such a Frankenstein of different drafts and ideas and people. However... Friedman had a good agent and had negotiated a deal, meaning he got a sole writing credit. Dill claims the secret of Cybertron script set the Quintessons up as creators of the Transformers, something he'd later revisit when he wrote the season 3 opening five-parter, Five Faces of Darkness, and the planet Cybertron was a weapon created by them also. But not 
the light god we now know as Primus. It happens in the Marvel comics as well, in a way. We find out in the Marvel comics that Cybertron is Primus. Yes, that's that's right. That kind of like... I, I mean, I now wonder if Simon Furman had, had read that somewhere and knew about mm. it, because it seems very like what they ended up with in the comics. It is. It is very, very I mean, he, he doesn't transform, but he's kind of... It, you find out Cybertron's kind of like a big... Almost like a big Transformer. Yeah. But it doesn't transform, but like he, he's sort of... It's conscious, and it's it's this sort of... It's like a kind of space god thing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was going to get on to that a little bit later, but yeah, the, there's some more Unicron shenanigans in the uh, in the comic book, which involves all that kind of stuff, which is kind of separate to the movie stuff in a way. Yeah, it kind of, it, it sort of follows its own path in the end. Well, it happens before the movie. It happens in 1990. Oh, right, of course, yeah. The, ti- the whole time, the timeline changes because of all yeah. the incredible amount of time travel nonsense in those comics. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah. So the movie timeline is is an alternative timeline to the comic book timeline. An alternative timeline from which characters come back into the the comic book timeline. So the movie timeline is where we get the Galvatron and, uh, and Hot Rod and that from the future. They come back from the future and then the... The past is so heavily affected that things skew off in a different direction to where they came from. Wow. Yeah, but then some of them are sort of still around in the past, and I, is Gal- I can't know. Galvatron's not. I think Galvatron's knocking about for ages. He gets pulled back a couple of times, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suppose I may as well get into it now. But like the yeah, so in the Marvel comics, like I said, we had the adaptation, and that was kind of based on an old script. But that was set in two thousand and six, not two thousand and five, because the original. The early version said 2006, not 2005. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you then had the storyline Target 2006, written by Simon Furman, where characters from the movie period come back. But then, much later in the run, there's, an, there's another situation. Well, basically, Unicron turns up early. There is this whole thing called Ma- the Matrix Quest, where the Matrix gets kind of tainted with evil. Yeah. And then a bunch of pretenders and micromasters like accidentally teleport themselves into the center of Cybertron and then they accidentally wake up Primus and then Primus being awake accidentally alerts Unicron to his... Unicron way before, doesn't it? It would have happened and then that that sort of something kind of similar happens to the end of Transformers movie but it's much much earlier in the... Yeah, and it, it is it is like it's it's a classic kind of like divided timeline thing. I think you could almost imagine the post Transformers the movie stuff is all sort of going on as well in a different timeline, and then they sort of somehow cross over due to like time travel nonsense. Wow, I'm sure you could see a diagram of it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but essentially it follows a similar it follows a similar plot in that Unicron turns up, tries to eat Cybertron, and he has to be stopped by the Matrix. But in this version, Optimus Prime does it. It's Prime Power Master Prime. Prime. Yeah, Power Master Prime. Yeah. And he dies in the process, which, you know, by that point, we all got very used to Optimus Prime dying, so it wasn't a problem. <laughs> it wasn't even the first time he died in the comics. No, not at all. <laughs> there was a time skip between season two and the movie. Yes! It's basically a 20-year gap between season two and the movie, during which time nothing has changed. The same old war is being fought over and over yeah. and over. Essentially, they're all still on Earth. <laughs> fighting each other. I suppose the big difference is that... They, they built Autobot City? Was that was that in the cartoon? That's, that's a new thing from the movie. That's the Japanese thing, isn't it? Uh, Scramble City. Well, yeah, but it wasn't... I mean, yeah, but... That's pre-the that's pre movie, well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it wasn't in the TV series. Oh, no. No, no. 
Scramble City was an original video animation special released in Japan during Season 2 of the Transformers. It introduced the special teams, or Scramble City combiner teams, and Metroplex, who would later form the core of the Autobot City. This was never officially dubbed in English or shown in the West as part of the cartoon series or otherwise. So yeah, you have this kind of 20 year gap, and in that time, the Decepticons seem to have completely taken control of Cybertron. But the balance of power has shifted a little, yeah. but it's sort of the same. Autobots have built an Autobot city, and that's essentially it. And, and the moons. Cybertron has grown some moons. <laughs> did, did they build the moons? Is that implied? As far as we're aware, there weren't any moons previously, and you get lots of wide shots of Cybertron. You never see any moons, but they, they were there, or maybe they weren't. Maybe they were built. They were just round the back when you were looking <laughs> exactly, at it. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. happy with that. It's fine. I don't. I mean, it doesn't really bother me. No. You think they reference that in Beast Wars because they have the two moons? Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, we, there could be more than two moons. Just because there's a moon base two, there could be another, there could be a third moon, fourth moon, who knows? It's around the back as well, yeah. Actually, I remember in Transformers Cybertron that when Cybertron transforms into Primus, there are two moons and he uses them to beat up Starscream because he's okay. grown to a giant. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yes, uh, that, but that's Cybertron. That's Transformers Cybertron. And that's a, that's, a, that's a very Japanese show, and it does some very kind of over-the-top kind of stuff like that. Uh, well, I suppose um, Spike's a father now. That's true. Yes, that's a big change. You've got, yeah, you've got uh, kind of a passing of the torch. I mean, in a way, it's the same as kind of bringing in the new characters. They have to bring in a new kid character. Mm. What I noticed, because I, I watched the last two episodes of season two and the first episode of season three, just to kind of get an idea of what it, what's what's either side of it, and like the last two episodes mm-hmm. of season two, they're all about the Scramble City Combiners. It's all yeah. Superion and um, Menasaur, yeah, Menasaur and what and the Combaticons, all those lot. And then we get to the movie, and the ultimate threat is Devastator, and we don't see any of the other Combiners. <laughs> no, it's true, we don't. It's quite selective. I mean, maybe they're just off doing, you know, they might be off on a deep undercover <laughs> mission. Or maybe they, I mean, do they turn up later afterwards? I reckon they, they probably do. Don't oh, they? you mean in, in season yeah. three and so on? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Well, the actual reason for that is a kind of production reason because the movie was put into production during season one of Generation Ooh. One. So they hadn't introduced those characters yet. Oh. <laughs> wow I didn't know that that's funny so they were like well we didn't put the aerial bots in because they didn't exist yet we didn't know what an aerial bot was <laughs> yeah exactly but it, it is kind of jarring I mean if you're if you're supposed if you're, if you're watching the TV show and then you go see the movie and you're like why are all these old characters here and we've had all those it's a bit like this is a sequel to season one <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which I guess is Absolutely. sort of effectively what it is. Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why they did the time jump as well, because they were just like, we don't, we've got to leave room for this second season that we haven't, um, we don't, we don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the first time since that first three episodes of Generation One where something actually changes the continuity. Because previously mm. it was just like. There's a big war on Cybertron, they all leave Cybertron, they all crash land on Earth, they all have a bit of a sleep, they all wake up, and they all have a big fight again on Earth. And then that's the status quo for the entire first two seasons, is just that. 
Occasionally they'd get some new troops come down from Cybertron, but it's the same thing. It's just that over and over. Every 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 episode resets and it's oh what what dastardly plan is Megatron up to this week? Yeah, yeah. He's just like Skeletor. He's like he's like <laughs> Skeletor that turns into a handgun. Like he's just he's a bad guy who has an evil plan every week. Yeah. And the things he gets up to, the things he gets up to are insane. <laughs> I watched one where he was like working with a oil baron. Try, trying to build a big griffin oh, right. robot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is the first time they kind of progress the continuity by killing a bunch of characters off and all that yes. kind of stuff. And, they, and season three starts off exactly where the movie ended. I think it uses a few shots from the movie, actually, doesn't With it? With a race, isn't it? Or something? No, it starts... Well, yeah, well, yeah. there's an Olympics. Some sort of Olympics, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a bit of a voiceover saying, "Oh, the movie happened. Here's what happened in the movie." Um, and now the Autobots are in charge of Cybertron, and the Decepticons are slumming it on Char, fighting over morsels of Energon. <laughs> and then Cyclonus and his Nazis turn up, and all do hail Megatrons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Galvatrons. <laughs> <Yes>. And <laughs> then we, we we're whisked away to some other planet where. The Autobots are just having a great time hosting a like a Space Olympics. <laughs> yeah, they are having a Space Olympics. Like Rodimus is kind of a, a jerk for some reason, which surprised me. I thought yes. I thought he was supposed to have matured. And he's like, yeah, get on with it. <laughs> he just comes out and goes, yeah, have a great time, yeah. And then uh... he's like, rock and roll. <laughs> almost. It's like he's, it's like he's a totally different character. And weird. I'm played by a totally different guy as well. So. They were going to get Judd well, Nelson yeah, for the TV series. Right? I'm sure he was still looking at a, a career in, in movies at that point. No, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I watched a little bit of this. I didn't watch the whole episode. But something that stood out, I think, really cemented this, is I, I feel quite sorry for Astro Train. He seems very put upon. <laughs> he is, isn't he? He just seems like... <laughs> he, he's like kind of there for the ride. He's actually like a super helpful guy. He's, he's just trying to do yeah. what he can. And, you know, he, he doesn't get any respect from anyone. He's just treated like a... Yeah, it's just a means of transportation to most people. Yeah, and there's a bit where he's like, well, this never happened under Megatron, and Cyclonus is like, you mean Galvatron? And he's like, sort of like, yeah, well, that's kind of the same thing, but he's, he's obviously got like a little bee in his about. <laughs> so I really like the way this is going. Yeah. Well, I think he's also, in the movie, he's one of the um, more confusing characters, just because of his kind of crazy mass displacement. Mm. Yeah, it makes, <clears throat> it makes little, Astro Train doesn't make a lot no. of sense. And I saw something, <laughs> I read, read or saw something about it, which um, I hadn't really considered. When they're leaving the, the fight at Autobot City, he turns into the train and they all kind of yep. run on the mm-hmm. back of the train. They get a kind of scale there. What size is this train? Yeah, exactly. So they all run on the back of the train. <laughs> and then the train carries on moving along and transforms into the um, space shuttle and it flips over. So everyone must have been thrown upside down yeah. in that process. <laughs> off yeah. it goes into space. But then obviously... it. Maybe it expands as he goes into space. He gets bigger because eventually Devastator can form inside there and everything. So it's mm-hmm. it's all a bit crazy. Yeah, a bit Doctor Who. <laughs> but then when when Starscream chucks Megatron out, it doesn't look that big. Yeah, it's like opens a small little door for to throw him out of. Yeah. <laughs> Although to be honest, there's quite a lot of things like, like that anyway. In this, yeah. Things are just whatever size the script needs them to be. That's it. <laughs> Unicron gets bigger and smaller a lot. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes Unicron... Do- I mean, I think when Unicron's on Cybertron, it doesn't even seem like that big. 
But then when he's eating that first planet, he looks massive. Yeah. But then when he's flying out of the sky in that first planet, he looks small. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's all over the shop. Yeah, because at one point, isn't he smashing his hand down on Cybertron, and later on he's standing on it? Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the size of Cybertron itself is also quite confusing. Absolutely. It, it, it really, I mean, it looks really small. <laughs> it just looked like you could drive around it in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really understand what Cybertron is. <laughs> no, no, it, it does, because you can see the buildings, and it, it, it's... Uh... It, yeah, it looks mm. it looks like a kind of floating space village rather than a yeah a massive planet. <laughs> so let's talk about the soundtrack. Mm. Oh yes, it's one of the things that makes it. I think it's very of the time, and it just works fantastically with with the aesthetic, animation, and the whole kind of look of everything. Cheesy rock and hair metal really kind of um, works with the whole thing. It really cements, like, if you remember a scene and you remember the song attached to the scene, mm-hmm. you, depending on where you're thinking of the song, it also is part of another scene. Like, those songs get reused a lot. Like, uh, Prime rolling down to saying he has to stop Megatron is the same song they use later on for Rodimus Prime Awakening. So it's... Yeah, but that's thematic, isn't it? Because he's the new Prime. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like, it. the music is so well-balanced with what you're seeing. It doesn't really matter which song it is or yeah. where in the song you are. And what I noticed watching it this time is the music is constant. It's never quiet. Yeah. There's never any any point where there isn't some kind of music playing in the background. But it it's not annoying like I found it in some things. It kind of works. Um and the the kind of the score, uh, Vince Dakota's score really works really well. Yes, I like the score actually. Mm. The score the score is pretty good. Mm. It's quite atmospheric. I think like the you know, the sort of the Unicron music and that kind of stuff is like really yeah. you know it, and the it, Autobot it, City music and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. I, I think it's 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 pretty good. Is he, I mean he he's I assume he's an established um film composer. Yeah, uh, he's con- he's contributed to um a number of other film scores, um, including Rocky Four. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and and some computer video games, uh, including Angry Bird Transformers. So, you know, how the mighty have fallen. Right. In a way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, he he wasn't like a, a big deal, but he was definitely, no, you know. It's, 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 well, I think, yeah, I think it works really well. Yeah. And there's some good, uh, uh, there's some, I really like, I listened to it the other day and like, there's some, there's some stuff on there I quite enjoy listening to. I quite like uh, Spectre General. They're quite good. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's- is there anyone on this soundtrack that was known for, you know, that was famous for anything other than this? Only Weird Al. A Weird Al, of course. And that, that's no. a weird... Yeah, I, I really yeah. like... I mean, I like that whole scene, actually. Mm. It's great. It's really fun. And it's like... I like the... The Junkions are really fun characters. They... I like I like the business where they kind of ride... You know, they all turn into motorbikes and they sort of ride each other and then, like, fall off and swap. It's like... It's very fun. Like, it's visually fun. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, that song is like... It's not It's not really a... It's not a heavy rock song. It's not really like the rest of the stuff on the soundtrack. Yeah. But it weirdly works. Yeah. I think... It, apparently it was meant to be... I think it was... Weird Al sort of made it as a, a Devo parody. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I believe it is. Yeah. I believe you're right. Yeah. I think it's quite an early one for him. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I always liked, I always liked that one. I didn't know that um, until today, in fact, I uh, read that Stan Bush originally wrote "You Got the Touch" for um, the uh, Sylvester Stallone Stinker Cobra. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, um, but it was what turned down or something. But yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone loves the Stan Bush songs. The two Stan Bush songs are on it, um, and the Lion redo of the theme tune, very good, very popular. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a, it's a great soundtrack. 
It is. I remember for the longest time I was looking to, to buy it and I couldn't find it anywhere just before like, they did some sort of re-release of it. Really? Yeah. I remember it being like available in HMV. Like, it wasn't it wasn't particularly expensive either. No, no, I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, it, funny. It, it was the only... Um, it was a weird period because HMV had gone and they hadn't released the new one yet. So there was a trickling... Yeah, maybe the there was a little period, a period where it's kind of out of print in a way. Yeah, it's it's good. Oh, it's so good, so good. Yeah, that music was very influential. It's so much so that there's now a a band called Cybertronian Spree who perform the music yeah. from yeah. the movie, dressed up as characters from the movie, like massive mm-hmm. cardboard cutout kind of suits. <laughs> yeah, and I I think I mean I've seen some of this, and I think considering what it is they're up to, it's very well done. It's it's incredibly well yeah. done. The costumes look really great. Like they're obviously all very you know, competent musicians, yep. I'd say. And they've got a YouTube channel where Shockwave makes cocktails. <laughs> it's, what, what's, what's not to like? Um, I, I think it's weird. The name seems to be a reference to the band Polyphonic Spree. And I, and I, what, but they're nothing but, like them. But why? Yeah, why? Because, <laughs> like, yeah, you're, firstly, they're nothing like them. And secondly, it's, it's kind of a band that, like, are kind of... A, imagine that you know you sort of had to be there at the time to even know yeah. about this it's not they're not a very well-known band i'm pretty sure these guys are american they're canadian canadian so yes maybe one of them was just a big polyphonic spree fan that's the best i can think of i was wondering i was like i wonder uh, is it like polyphonic spree were canadian and you know it was a sort of little in joke but no they're from texas like, yeah Oh. So weird, isn't it? Yeah, I don't get that. <laughs> but you know, they they're very competent, very good, and they get lots. You know, they they seem to get lots of people down to see them. I've seen their shows on um on YouTube and yeah, so on. Yeah, I, I think those those convention circuit things can be quite lucrative. Actually, it's it's a mm. um, it's a whole it's a whole industry. I, I watched a, a long video about the Brony scene a while ago, which is the adult My Little Pony fan. Yeah, it's no. quite interesting. <laughs> but like one of the things. Um, one of the things about it was um, how there were loads of musical acts and bands that only existed because of this like convention circuit, and they were all making like a good living from it. Yeah. Wow. But I, I don't know what the deal is with Cybertronic Spree. I mean, I feel like the Brony scene was probably bigger than at, at its height was was huge. <laughs> um, yeah. Transformers. There's but... not very much information about them to be honest. No. Uh, Cybertronic Spree. They're just there. Feels like a bit of fun. But they are, they are quite fun. It is fun. Yeah, it is fun. It is definitely fun. The whole thing just feels incredibly 80s, and I think this is the thing that's, that, that you know, that's what cements it really is, the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And Transformers is like, I mean, you can even see that in the Bumblebee, recent-ish Bumblebee movie, making it like an 80s nostalgia thing. It's very, like, tied to the 80s. Yeah. And um, mm. this is, you know, the, the whole. Th- I think the whole thing is very eighties actually. Like the tone is quite eighties as well, where it's sort of like quite, you know, it's quite dark and violent, but then it's also got like lots of quips, mm-hmm. yeah, and like humorous moments. <laughs> and it's sort of got that. It sort of walks that line of being like a little bit nasty, but not taking itself like incredibly seriously. Yeah, and apparently mm. um, that tone and um, also the swearing which is not mentioned yet yes the swear that, some of that stuff was deliberate so that it was a PG rather than a uh, G rating but I believe they wanted it to be shown in the evening yeah and that was um, that was their strategy for that they wanted I guess they wanted teenagers and like young adults to watch it 
So if they if they hadn't have put those things in, it would have been rated G, and therefore it would only be shown during the day. So they wanted it to be shown yes. more often in a hope to yeah, get. I mean, maybe that's why they made it violent as well. Actually, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, well, part, partly. Mm. Yeah, many people probably thought that Spike saying "Oh shit" was not deliberate, <laughs> but no, it was totally. Um, it was in the script. It wasn't a. Um, yeah, an I, I didn't know about that. I mean, I because it wasn't on the it wasn't on the VHS version I had. No, it I wasn't. They, they... It wasn't on the copy I yeah, had either. And I think I got a DVD <laughs> like a number of years ago, some major re-release, mm-hmm. and yeah, he just said shit, and I was, I was a bit like, what did, did I <laughs> did I just hear that? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so like, did I did I just not notice that as a child, like, like the fifty times I watched it? But, <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, yeah cut out on the on the VHS release here. At yeah, least. it was. I mean, the, there was. I was going to say, there's a few different versions, because like I say, as we were saying before, there was one with like the Star Wars-style crawl on it. There was a version mm-hmm. where they added narration at the end where it says, Optimus Prime will return, just to stop yeah. people crying. <laughs> there are a few versions where the editing, well, sorry, where the swearing was edited out. I believe in America, they edited out Open Damn It, because that's a bit more of a oh, yeah. bit more of a serious swear word in America than in the UK. Damn it. Some mild cusses as yeah. well as the, the the shit. Yeah. And then there's a few other ones where they cut some scenes a bit but weird ones like um they took Hot Rod catching the Matrix out. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know. Maybe they thought it was a bit too much, too much foreshadowing. Yeah. Made it a bit too obvious. It's very it's obvious it's very obvious foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's like fine. I mean <laughs> Hot Rod's, I guess Hot Rod's the main, I guess Hot Rod's the main character? I mean, mm. are we happy to say that? Yeah. Well, yeah, he is, he's, he's, um, well, let's get into it. He's the Luke Skywalker of the movie. Are we going into it? Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. it does bear, it does have a lot mm. of similarities to Star Wars. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, this is, a, this is a known thing. Mm. And I think that, I, I think I wrote, I wrote down a few possible similarities I spotted, <laughs> but I mean, I think really, I mean, Unicron, Death Star, sure. Like, yeah. I, I, I would be surprised if that wasn't inspired by the Death mm-hmm. Star to some degree. It's even got like a big circle on it and stuff like that. Yeah, he's, he's, he's so essentially I, a transforming Death Star. I think that the design is great. I love that sort of ring mm-hmm. that he's got around him and the pincers and stuff like that. Like, it's um, it's very weird looking. Oh, yeah. I think it's brilliant. I mean, it it reminds me a little bit of something from Ulysses seventy three or whatever it's called the um, thirty one. Sorry, Ulysses thirty one. That he had a spaceship that looked a little bit like Unicron. Yeah, it's quite it's quite an anime style. But yeah, I mean, Unicron looks fantastic. But he is very much a Death Star kind of um, wannabe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's fair. But um, and I think apart from that, like there's a few there's a few superficial things. But yeah. I think it's basically it's it's a kind of a very standard like hero's journey arc for Hot Rods, and it's like. Well, sure. I mean, that's Luke Skywalker, but that wasn't like an original idea when George Lucas came up with it. Like, Star Wars is really derivative. Absolutely. Famously derivative. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I mean, I think, yeah, there are loads of similarities, but they are mostly superficial. You know, Megatron has a lightsaber at one point, and I guess you could say Springer's a kind of Han Solo kind of character, and RC's <laughs> Princess Leia complete yeah, with the but buns. He's not in it very much. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. It's like I say, it's, it's superficial. It's not. It's certainly not massively part of the plot. Yeah, there's, there's a few things. 
There's, there's a bit where Hot Rod is practicing with, I think, what appears to be like a lightsaber against some kind of robot <laughs> when they're in space travel. And I was like, that that's definitely yes. something that happened in Star Wars. And like, it goes, almost... time out, time out, time out. Time out, time out, time out. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> so, I mean, that was weird. And that I feel like, yeah, they would maybe it feels almost more like a reference than a ripoff. It's yeah. like so obvious. And then I've got like... Um, I feel like that final fight between Hot Rod and Galvatron inside Unicron just sort of feels a little bit like tonally like the the fight between Luke and Vader in Return of the Jedi. But, yeah. I mean, it's not that similar. And it has the the mentor talking to him back from the dead kind of thing, you know, like yeah. Like, but, you know, but I mean, that's all. It's all classic stuff, mm, isn't it? It's yeah. Like as we say, like Lucas never didn't invent any of this. No. Know, that's that's sort of the point. I mean, he was purposefully doing stuff that would be familiar that audiences would kind of feel they knew already i suppose that's like part of the the trick that, that star wars played mm. yeah but my, my, my other my other hot take is um is wheelie mm. the jar jar binks of um <laughs> <laughs> of transformers the movie yes <laughs> absolutely everyone hates wheelie there didn't really seem to be any reason for wheelie to be in the movie no, and it's like, who, who is Wheelie? Like, he's just sort of there on Quintus on Planet. Um, just some random Autobot so, that's got lost. I, I, I think he's, I think, I think I read somewhere, I've got it in my head, that he's a scout or mm. something. That he's just some, some gum guy that's been sent on some deep space mission to just like find out what's going on out there. And he's just been hanging out on Quintus on for a while, like working it out. And he's gone a bit crazy and he now speaks in rhyme. He, he's actually not in it that much, though. No. I, I, that was another thing. I, I think Wheelie has maybe... Five, maximum five lines in, in this movie. He's much more annoying once we get to the rest of Ooh. the stuff after the movie. Yeah. So he he hangs around in the cartoon being like that forever. Is that what yes? You're yeah. And he's 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 in um he's in Headmasters quite a lot yeah. as well. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. At least he doesn't rhyme in Headmasters, but yeah. Yeah. It's more that he just he was introduced in the movie and everyone hates him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, about, I mean, I. I no, go ahead. I was just going to say the Dinobots. I think are you know they're quite a prominent. They have quite a prominent role in this. Mm-hmm. It's strange, isn't it? Because you'd think they'd be part of the old school. They'd be wanting to wipe out or sideline. Maybe they just hadn't discontinued the toys yet. I thought they got to carry on, but they not. Well, they put. I imagine they didn't. But it, it's weird that they decided that those ones they were going to keep. Like uh, Bumblebee and Cliff Jumper and Jazz will survive. I don't think they were. The toys were in production after this movie. No, although I think they just kept a few of them mm. around just for the cartoon. Unfortunately, Jazzman Carruthers. Uh, sorry, yeah, is it Jazzman Carruthers? He Scatman. 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 Scatman Carruthers. Mm. He yeah. died not long after that first movie. Mm. Talking of deaths, actually, um, Orson Welles died very shortly after. It was his last I, movie. I, did, I only read this. Mm. Recently, mm. I, I I knew it was his last movie, but I think he died in like under a week after recording Unicron or something like that. He was really poorly when they were recording it, and they had to put like an effect on his voice. They had to put his voice through a, through like a synthesizer to make him sound more menacing because he was quite ill. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, because his voice was weak. Yeah. Our good friend the Vidi Printer demonstrates this quite perfectly in our very special introduction to today's podcast. The clip you hear is from an introduction to the Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd fronted comedy drama Moonlighting, recorded by Orson Welles around about the same time as his work on Transformers the movie. By a strange coincidence, the video printer worked his magic on this audio to make him sound like Unicron, totally unsolicited. He just had it laying around, and when he heard that we were making an episode on the movie, he sent it over. What a legend. 
By further coincidence, this podcast will be released on his birthday. So happy birthday to you, Mr. Vidi Printer. I mean, I, I think it's a great, um, it's a great turn actually, and I really enjoy his um, his delivery in the movie. I like how sarcastic Unicron is. It's fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because and I think that's I think that's a little bit of Olsen Welles' own irreverence for the whole thing coming through a little bit. Yeah, but it, 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 Unicron just doesn't seem to take anyone very seriously. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't think he was like because I mean, um, I can't remember who who interviewed him, but he said something along the lines of. Oh, I'm playing a planet that turns into a robot from a toy line. Yeah, and, no, uh, yeah. <laughs> he knew what he was doing was very silly. Yeah, yeah. So I think he was kind of not taking it too seriously, which uh, the right thing to do. Really. I, I also noticed on this viewing, Gal- Gal- Galvatron just seems like he doesn't know what's going on at any point in the film, and he's like <laughs> constantly. It's no wonder that Unicron doesn't really respect him because he's um, no. <laughs> You know, he's sort of like this. I think there's at least twice when he's like, God, the Matrix is done. I killed that guy. And Unicron's like, no, no you don't understand how this works. It's not that simple. You need to do what I say. Like, not have your own ideas. And that that's like their relationship. No, it's not. They clearly just flew away. Did you not see? <laughs> yeah. And, and like, every time, like, Unicron wants to speak to Galvatron, like, his only way of, like, pa- paging him is just to create, like, enormous pain in his mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He has a. It's a weird relationship he has with his minions, isn't it? Like the um, where he can just kind of like set their brains on fire and then goes and then talks to them. Yeah, and then Galvatron's like, "You better take me to Unicron. He's clearly not happy about something." But he can talk to him in his mind, so I don't know. But yeah, he often just chooses not to bother doing that. Maybe it's just a one-way thing. I don't know. Yeah, was, um, he seems bewildered. Was Galactus and Silver Surfer a thing at this? Well, of course Is they were. That, of course they were. That, yeah. Yes, would absolutely. That, would that have been an, an inspiration for that whole? Without a doubt, without a doubt, <laughs> Galvatron is basically his herald. Yeah, it, it feels more that than I feel like that reference is stronger than Star Wars, if anything. I mean, yeah. what does Galactus do? Eat planets. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah, yeah. There's got to be some crossover in that sense, absolutely, without a doubt. I was going to say that. Remember how we thought that. Every- that no one in the the headmaster's cartoons could say scourge and they all say squurge. Well, I I thought that Unicron also said squurge. He does. <laughs> he does. I was actually talking about this the other night with some other Transformers collectors, and I was mentioning that in head in the headmasters in Rebirth they say squurge at least twice, and then in the movie, yeah, Unicron says squurge. So all I can assume is he's he's actually called Squurge. We've been calling him Scourge wrongly for years. Yep, we've all been saying it wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, I was quite surprised by that. Poor guy. <laughs> no, he's misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> do what do you guys remember about the the posters? Because is that a uh, is that because that's another big reference to Star Wars? Some of the way the posters are laid with hot shot. Hot, hot Rod and oh, right. RC next to each other in that type of yeah. um, iconic pose. Yeah, there's kind of three three different poses, isn't there? Like there's a US one, a UK one. Uh, there are a few different versions. But yeah, I know the one you mean, the one which is kind of like a, almost a pyramid, yeah. which does, is very similar to mm. the Star Wars poster. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously riffing off that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, I mean... I... 
I can't really remember the posters. I imagine I mean I must have got this video out of the video shop like a ton of times. I actually can't remember what the cover looked like. No. Well there's been a few different covers. Mm. Yeah. I mean I'm sure they were I think they were probably I mean I think there is an extent to which they try and like sort of but get a bit Star Warsiness into into some of the yeah. way this comes across. But a lot of people were doing that. Well I mean Star Wars is such a huge influence on everybody at the time. Yeah, it's true. It's like this thing of like there, yeah, people do seem to make a bit of a thing of like similarities with Star Wars, but there's, you know, Star Wars is just followed by tons of things uh-huh. that that do that, that reference it or mm-hmm. or rip it off or try, you know, just try and cash in on its popularity. And actually, I don't think this is trying to cash in on the popularity of Star Wars in any significant way. Like it's actually it's trying to cash in on the popularity of Transformers. Yeah, yeah unsuccessfully. <laughs> so I suppose we should probably talk about how. The film actually did. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not that well. It did badly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it, it bombed, yeah, and it was very unpopular with the critics. Yeah. From what I've read, it cost five to six million to make, and depending on what source you go to, it either only made two point six million or five point eight million. Wow. Which means it didn't break even. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I imagine they kind of recouped it all in the long, long run. Oh yeah, in the very long run, yeah, on you know, oh. DVD sales and you know sales of the soundtrack, etc., etc., etc. And it's had a huge impact on the fandom, anyway. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it made less movie than the less sorry, it made less money than the My Little Pony movie that came out the same year. Well, you you, you were part of that, of course, as well. <laughs> oh no, I went to see Care Bears. Oh, Care Bears, sorry, yeah, which also made more money. More money. Than... <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? Um, I can't imagine they got amazing reviews from serious movie critics either. So I I think maybe they sort of pitched it. Maybe they kind of pitched it wrong. Maybe their kind of thing of like, we want adults to watch this just didn't work. Yeah, I think that might be it. Because I'm sure there's not a massive death toll in My Little Pony, the movie. No. I I mean, I I haven't seen it, but I'd be incredibly (laughs) surprised if that was the case. (laughs) I know there's not a massive death toll in Care Bears 2, because I did go to see that. It It was quite a fun... A fun movie with very little death. Didn't it like uh, affect like all future Hasbro movies? Like, yep, they yeah. stopped the GI Joe yeah. movie. I think, or, or, yeah, they did a yeah. GI Joe, and wasn't it meant to be a Gems movie or something? But then that didn't happen. Possibly, the GI Joe movie and the Transformers movie were made, being made around the pretty much concurrently. They were being made at the same time, and as a result of a how badly Transformers did, and b how much of a backlash there was against Optimus Prime dying. They changed the movie so that Duke, the main character, didn't die. Yes. He was just in a coma for a bit and then got better. Yeah, coma. (laughs) Um, They also went straight to video, straight to TV. They didn't didn't put it in the cinema. Yeah, I think they got cold feet about being in movies at all after this. Because, I mean, I assume they they must have lost Mm. money at the time. Yeah, must have done. Absolutely. Probably didn't love that. Well, I I think they massively misjudged it. They didn't, yeah, they, didn't, they, they didn't realise how much these characters meant to people. Yeah, for sure. But I, I do wonder if, you know, maybe it's kind of gave the franchise more legs in the long run. Yeah. I mean, it, and it is highly popular. It's hugely popular with the fandom. In fact, I would say that the movie is what cements what G1 looks like to yeah. fans these days. It feels like the linchpin of the whole thing, actually. Yeah. And if you look at... Um, if you look at all the all the toys that have come out since, they're very much influenced by that stuff. And 
whenever they make because there's there's a there's this one line of Transformers called um, Transformers Masterpiece. It's one of the longest running Transformers lines, and they're all kind of um, they're aimed at kind of adult collectors. And when it comes to like reference points for what they should look like, yeah. and what kind of accessories they should have, it's always the movie they're going to. Yeah, use. you know. Oh, he comes with the little saw blade from the movie. Oh, he comes with the um, the lightsaber from the movie. All that kind of stuff. It's it's the it's the point. It's it's what cemented that as the definitive G one. Because previously, you know, people were reading the comics, they were watching the TV show, they were collecting the toys. It was all kind of a mishmash. And I don't think it was until that movie came that became like the the main thing. Yeah, I think it sort of has more. Um... You know, it's sort of it's a little, it's it's darker. It's got sort of some vaguely mystical overtones. It kind of like deepens the the world, I suppose, in a way that was you know. May, may, I'm sure that like nothing, if there were you know, it may be that we wouldn't have Transformers at all without now without this, and it certainly wouldn't be anything like how it is. Yeah, it added loads of things to the mythology. Yes, the Matrix. I mean, the the comics did have the uh, creation Matrix, but it was just like a computer program. Really? That lived inside Prime's head. So it was set in the comics first? Yeah, but it was called the it was called the Creation Matrix, whereas in the movie it's called the Matrix of Leadership. That's right, yeah. You're right, and they talk about the Creation Matrix in the comics. I think that they may even call it that all the way through. Yeah, it always is the Creation Matrix, but it suddenly becomes an object rather than just a computer program in an Optimus Prime's head. This was too interesting not to tack on. Like Orion says, the Creation Matrix was first conceived by Bob Budiansky in the pages of the Marvel comic book as a way to create new Transformers asexually, as at the time Hasbro had a no-girls, no-gender policy in regard to the brand. The Creation Matrix was a primal program housed inside the Autobot leader and could be used to bring newly constructed Transformers to life. The Matrix was not present in early drafts of Transformers the movie. Instead, upon his death, Prime transferred his life spark to Ultra Magnus as a means to hand over leadership of the Autobots. Later, they replaced this idea with a physical object known as the Matrix of Leadership. However, it wasn't until after the movie that the concept was expanded upon, so that the Matrix contained the life force and wisdom of all previous deceased Autobot leaders. Simon Furman promptly pounced on this, assimilating it into the comic books, making the creation Matrix a physical object resembling the Matrix of Leadership from the movie. This contained Budiansky's primal program, as well as the life force and wisdom of previous Matrix carriers, and was later revealed to be the essence of the Transformers creator and god, Primus. We hope you all found that as interesting as we did. The, the Matrix is a new thing added to the mythology, and that's been revisited hundreds of times. Unicron. Yeah. Primal mm. is dying in every story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the idea of Prime being a rank, rather than just the name. Oh yeah, just is it Rodimus Prime? Yeah. Oh right, yeah. Previously, there weren't. There was, Optimus Prime was just his name. It wasn't like. Yeah. Uh, I was, used to be called Optimus, and then but when I when I got um, promoted, <laughs> I became Optimus Prime. It was you know previously that was just what his name was. It had nothing to do with his position. Yeah. So the idea of the Primes, I think that comes mm. from this. Unicron yeah. pops up constantly after this. And it's huge. It's hugely important in the comics. Absolutely, and yeah, and and, and the whole kind of a creation story of Primus and and, and and Unicron being kind of two sides of the same kind of coin, the yeah. kind of you know the, the good god and the bad god. In the cartoon, like Unicron was made by a big monkey for incredibly vague <laughs> reasons. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> yes, he was. Yeah, the cartoon has a slightly less, uh... slightly less mystical kind of reading. <laughs> the big monkey Michael Quintesson refers to is Primacron, an allegedly hyper-intelligent scientist who created a bunch of the primitives, aka the Transformers that turn into robotic beasts such as the Dinobots, Skylinks, Trypticon, and the Predacons, as well as Unicron, who later rebelled against him. Due to some pretty nonsensical writing, he comes across as a bit of an idiot in the show. And yes, he does look like a monkey. In this point in the movie, was Metroplex a thing? Yes. Because I it always once I found I watched all of the series, I found it so strange that they decided to transform Portbot City into a battle station instead of Metroplex. Which, I mean. Well, Metroplex, Metroplex is just like the centre of the city. It's not the whole thing. No, I but I mean, yeah. he was there. Like, because they talk about his transformation. Cog got destroyed in the battle, so... Ah, well, exactly. So maybe it got destroyed really early. <laughs> really early? Okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's just not really very clear when Metroplex is, is around or what he's about. Because isn't he in the comic? Well, yeah. The reason that Metroplex is not in the movie is the same reason the Combaticons and the Aerialbots are not in the movie. He didn't exist when they wrote the movie. When they wrote the movie, yeah. Uh... So, yeah, okay. In season three, they go, "Oh, we've got we've got to get this uh, this transformation, <laughs> new transformation cog back to Metroplex in Autobot City." But when they're making the movie, no Metroplex existed. So, <laughs> like, that's why he doesn't transform. That's why okay. that's why Omega Supreme's not there. You'd think they'd bring out all the big guns, but they don't, because they don't exist yet. The Dinobots were the big guns at that point then, wasn't it? That's why they... And Devastator, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of explains why the Dinobots played a bigger role than you might have thought they mm. would do, actually. Yeah. The depiction of the Dinobots, I find, kind of... It's like, they're, they're so dumb. Yeah, <laughs> incredibly. They're, 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 like, really... They're really portrayed as, like, absolutely like pig stupid moronic <laughs> yeah and i mean it's I mean, certainly like in the comic i think grimlock is is quite a nuanced and interesting character yeah they all oh, are. that's the comic for you though <laughs> i mean they all have well not all of them but like sludge has some good stuff going on oh. and swoop as well yeah swoop has swoop has some stuff to do in the comic but they, they're just portrayed as, as as very very thick and basically kind of comic relief and they also have a I remember that the Dinobots had a scene that I think got cut out, or they kept a bit of it in. You know the scene where they're on uh, the Quintesson planet, and they're having mm. an argument about Varinium Baloney, or Cesium Salami, or whatever? Yeah. yeah, there is some Salami chat. There was meant to be more of that. <laughs> right. Because it just goes, well, it just cuts straight into their conversation. There was meant to be a bit before, while they're talking, there's a, tra- a trap that Slag almost steps in. Oh, okay. And there was meant to be more stuff like that in that part, like the Quintessons had traps for them. And they're... Yeah. Well, this thing, isn't it? It's, they're just kind of meandering about, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> um, we'll just wander around, see if yeah. we can find Hot Rod and Cup. I mean, I thought it was quite weird how there's a bit where... And it, this is just the pace of the script, I guess. But there's a bit where Grimlock just... They just bust in the door in, in the Quintesson courtroom. They squish the magistrate. <laughs> um, Apologise. <laughs> and then... Um, and then Grimlock just says, Me Grimlock say, you get them now. And the Shark all say... You just, all just, just go along with it. And it's like... Yep. 
it, I don't. I, I. I mean, I've no idea what was really going on. But I mean, the Quintus ones don't make a lot of sense anyway. I, I really like them. Um, <laughs> no, I like how weird it is. They're another thing that um, spawn from this. This movie introduces, yeah. and they continue to be an important part of. Are the they franchise. still in the franchise now? Yes, kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're in the comics quite a lot. There's some great stuff in the comics with them, actually. I think. Yeah. For better or worse, they have been added to the uh, pantheon, mm-hmm. and they keep popping up. Yeah, I, I, I like it. It's just sort of like they're in this situation. It's, 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 it's kind of like completely perverse. It's like, why do they have? Why are they doing this? Why are they having mm. these mock trials and then feeding people <laughs> to the saying innocent and feeding people to the sharks? It's like, yeah, and you never find out like what's going on. But it's, it's just, it's just a slice of weirdness. Yeah, it's just like it just, ha- it just happens on this planet that you've ended up on. There's these yeah, it's like guys. this is what this planet's like. It's like, don't ask why. <laughs> Just what happens. We need here. to get off this. We need to get out of this. <laughs> yeah, and they do, and then they fly to Junktacon for no reason. But um, hey. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's unclear how they found them, but I mean, maybe there was yeah. a homing signal. Who, who knows? I, I love that corkscrew spaceship actually as well. That's a great design. I think. It's a nice design. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they do reference it a few times in the toys as well. There's been a few references to it, and in the and in the recent cartoon series, they use a similar ship. Oh, really? Yeah. I think the Quintessons are like, they just seem like kind of massive jerks, I guess. Yeah, I mean, since then, they've tried to kind of retcon them a bit and kind of uh, make their their place in Transformers mythology larger and more important. Like, you know, apparently in some versions, the Quintessons created the Transformers. Uh, in other ones, they oh, enslaved, yeah. in other versions, they enslaved them at one point. Yeah. So since then, they've been very much kind of like, made into more of a bigger part of it all yeah i quite like i quite like the weirdness of it the weirdness of that and the junk planet are both like quite welcome in this movie yeah <laughs> I, I do like the the other planets it's good that you get to see some weird shit it feels like we're in a whole universe of of transforming yeah. robots and like organic beings are really on in the minority <laughs> that planet at the beginning uh Li- lithos or lithos correction it's litho naturally you may also notice orion can't say junkie on properly either just go with it. Incidentally, if you dig into it, the robots of Lithon are quite interesting. Probably the most interesting aspect that we briefly see in the movie is that they appear to have a more human-like society made up of men, women and children. That gets destroyed at the beginning? Yeah, you feel like there's there are loads of planets. You know, The tra- Transformers aren't actually that unique. There's loads of planets with mechanical life forms on. Yeah, this is somehow normal. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it's it's more abnormal if you're an organic life form, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're the battle beasts in that. Uh, they, of course. Yep, <laughs> 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 yeah, back to the battle beasts. Yeah, they've got from Planet Beast or whatever it's called. I guess, actually, just another thing. Like, is it worth talking about RC a little bit and her place in in the whole thing? Oh, yeah. Sure. She she sort of sticks out. You know, she's an odd, she's a sort of an odd character. I think particularly in that there was no toy. Isn't isn't this the first female character, or is not? Um, well, no, there? because you had Elita One in. Oh yeah, that was season uh, two. Yeah, G- Generation One. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, she's the first kind of major character, female character, really. Elita One was Elita One was just Doctor Prime's girlfriend. And you didn't see her much. Isn't that the reason that that episode happened? Because of RC. Uh, to get the idea across that there are also female Transformers, so it's not just a... 
Uh, well, it happened in season two, though. It's happened before the movie happened. But so. I th- no, I'm sure I, I heard something about in production, they were like, wait, we've got a girl character. I see what you mean. We, that's entirely oh, possible. We need to rush out an episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, that, that's possible, actually. I mean, what, what's, was she just there in the hope that some girls would watch the movie? Is that is that why, is that why she exists? There is some truth to this. Previous to the production of the movie and creation of R.C., there was the aforementioned no girls, no gender policy from Hasbro. According to Ron Friedman, he pushed for the inclusion of female characters in the movie because his daughter loved this stuff, and he thought other girls would too. As a knock-on effect of R.C. being added to the movie cast, female characters were introduced in the second season of the TV show, which was in production at the same time as the movie. Therefore, Elita One slash Ariel, not originally intended to be the same character, and her band of female freedom fighters appeared in the show before the movie's release. But yeah, R.C. is a weird character, and it does it throws up a lot of kind of confusing stuff about Transformer sexuality and so on. Well, sure, yeah. There's a story in the comic where I think they've kind of implied that the Autobots have made R.C. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kind of reaction to to like human like feminism. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and they mm. sort of got it wrong. <laughs> and it, it's quite it's quite a funny story actually. And there's these people protesting with, and there's a placard that says like, "Why is it pink?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Brilliant! I, I need to I need yeah. to look this up. It's it's one of the U, it's one of those ones that's in black and you know those black and white ones that were only oh, in the UK comics. So it's, it's probably like a, yeah, a UK only one. Yeah, it's like a one off. And I, I think it was it was really, it's quite funny because it's sort of. You know, it's it's sort of spearing like that kind of like politics, but also like why is it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why is she pink? Why why does she look like Princess Leia? Why is she so kind of you know? Yeah, I thought they were sort of skewering themselves a little bit. No, yeah, just it was quite amusing. Mm-hmm. It sort of really highlights like what what is what what is what is the deal with RC? <laughs> Who knows? I suppose they thought they, they felt they wanted to get a female character in there, but like it's yeah. weird that it, yeah, look, they hadn't done it before or felt the need. It's because it's a movie, yeah. you know. They just wanted to have like a female in the voice cast, maybe, or something like that. But yeah, well, a, f- a female uh, who went on to be a very important female in Transformers. Um, Susan Blue plays um, RC, and she went on to be the voice director for Beast Wars. Oh wow! Okay. Oh. So she's she's responsible, well, partly responsible for one of the things that people say be- makes Beast Wars so good. The the voice acting. We're having good a good voice oh, cast. Yeah. My so the, yeah, the character design uh, that was all done by uh, a guy called Folaro Derry or Folaro Derry. Derry. Yeah, and he was working on it from the beginning. But he originally his job was to take some toys and make them into animated characters. But for the movie, he was, he had to, he did it the other way. He designed them, and then the toys had to be designed based on his designs. Oh. So he designed all the new guys. And I assume that's the first time they did it that way around, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is why, like, there's a more kind of organic, kind of humanoid feel to people like Hot Rod and RC yeah. and so on. And they're they're more rounded and more kind of um yeah human like. They're not blocky. They're not as they're blocky. Less blocky. And, and the vehicle modes are by and large sort of a bit more sci fi, I think. Yeah. I don't I don't know if that's because it's set in the future. You know, it's two thousand five, so we could imagine that Hot Rod is just what a car looks like in two thousand five from the view of, of nineteen eighty six. Mm. But maybe that's just his Cybertron mode and he just hasn't bothered to convert over to an Earth car. Yeah. But I mean, but yeah, the thing was though with these designs, 
for uh, this guy, this guy created for the for the movie. He handed them over to the animators. He handed them over to Marvel. He handed them over to the toy designers, and then they all went off and did their own thing and didn't talk to each other. <laughs> so, this is why the the toys and the comic book versions of the characters mm. look a lot more like the, the original designs, whereas the ones in the movie are kind of simplified to work in a in an, in an animated movie because you've got to draw them over and over again and all that kind of stuff. So that's why there's kind of a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why you get things like Galvatron being a grey toy and uh, grey in the comic book, but he's he's purple on screen and things like that. Like That confused just, me a lot of the time. I, I, mean, I, I think you also just... It was both confusing, but also that was just constant if you were watching cartoons based <laughs> on toy ranges, that there'd, there'd be stuff like that going on. <laughs> Yeah, things yeah things didn't necessarily look like they did on the screen. You sort of accepted it as well. No, I mean it was, it was it was. I mean, you look at the Retgar toy. Even at the time, I think people were annoyed that Retgar couldn't ride around another Retgar. Yeah, that would have been very nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, something else I noticed. I think particularly this viewing was about how, in in terms of like how they, I assume that when they invented like Retgar, the toy was an Autobot. And I think if you see the toy, he's got an Autobot badge. And the Sharktacons, which was maybe one character, Sharktacon even, was a Decepticon. No. And they just sort of mm. decided to use them as like completely different sort of another another race of transforming robots. Altogether, yeah. And 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 also there were lots of them. So like the Sharktacons, there were tons of Sharktacons. But even with like Cyclonus and, and Squirge, um, they were, <laughs> you know, there they were like several of them. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and whereas the toys, they had their own, their own particular bios. And... Yeah, I feel like Cyclonus in the toys was a guy. <laughs> yeah, and he was in the comic book as well. Yeah. So oh, that that was an odd choice. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, you still have Cyclonus and Squirge, Scourge, but then you have their their Armada and their sweeps, which are just copies There's of more them. of them, yeah. Although the number of them changes massively throughout the movie. It can just be whatever the movie needs. And yeah. Galvatron can pilot Cyclonus, it's all fine. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Galvatron can ride around inside Cyclonus. Sometimes he's about the same size. <laughs> yep. Get over it. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it was it was interesting that that happened. But like I was saying with the comics, they all, they were all kind of can, handed over these partially finished early version, yeah. non signed off versions of things, and then that, everything got skewed off in different directions. Which actually, I would say that wouldn't happen today, but it does. It does. So mm. you, you, you'd think that Hasbro would have got their shit together by now, but they still make these mistakes. So well, I think it just sort of. I mean, they didn't. I guess they didn't take this stuff that seriously. They they were just like, no. we just want a way. We just want a way for kids to get familiar with these new toys we're putting out. And that's really the only point of yeah. So, I, and I think I I think that the the idea, you know, the fans these days seem to be very invested in whether it looks like it's in the does in the show or in a certain comic, or whatever. But I don't. Think oh, it's tell, me it. tell me about <laughs> it. Tell me about it. Topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is one for you guys. I'm not. I'm, I'm not in this world. <laughs> it, really dry, it drives drives me up the wall absolutely drives me up the wall i'm not i've not got a problem with it but i just it's it's become such a thing within the fandom that things must be show accurate must be screen accurate yeah like remember ratchet guys <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah it's like yeah i'm like i'm like that's fine we could have those but can we also have the ones that aren't everything has to be show accurate these days to the point of stupidity 
<laughs> yeah, I just think they just weren't as bothered, and I don't think the fans yeah. were as bothered either. Really, it was wasn't. I certainly wasn't. Just kind of accepted that they wouldn't look exactly the same. I mean, like Bumblebee's yeah. face was very different. You know that there was all that sort of. Um, there's loads of stuff like that. My I suppose since we're talking of the light, uh, the toys, we should probably probably talk of the toys that this movie was mm-hmm. invented to uh, <laughs> to bring in because it was basically a commercial for the for the 1986 toy line. Yeah. Are they all in it? That's a good question. Well, not everybody, but a lot of... Well, the main ones are, like, Hot Rod, Blur, Cup, Springer, I think, is one of them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're pushing the triple changes, I guess, a bit, aren't they? In this? Yeah. RC, they were planning to do a toy of and never did. Yes. Obviously, you've got Galvatron, Cyclonus... Um, Wheelie got a toy. Scourge. <laughs> Sorry? Wheelie got a toy as well. Cool. Yeah, Wheelie was a... Wheelie, Wheelie had a, a toy. Sure. There was a Unicron in development that never yes. happened. I mean, I think a lot of these toys were pretty good. I think, like, Cup and Hot Rod were good. Cup, Hot Rod and Blur were all, like, nice figures. And I think Ultra I, Magnus as well. Ultra Magnus but well. I, Yeah, and, but Ultra Magnus. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my brother uh, had Ultra Magnus. Um... I, I I think it's it's one of the crummiest toys that they made in in the G one line. Like it's a bad toy. <laughs> I, I think you know there's sort of some good things about it, but first it was weird that it was Prime again and it had a little white Prime. That was weird. Well, un- unlike the other ones we mentioned, this one was another Diaclone toy. Yes, exactly. Through. And I, that was my understanding. And I think recolored. But yeah, if you look at like I think firstly it was it was a bit sort of like brittle and insubstantial, like the trailer bit. And I, I think this is mostly what I've seen. Like, the, the, his head, his blue head that went on top of the little prime head, mm-hmm. didn't even have the face coloured in it. Was like, and if you, I remember, I remember this. I remember being annoyed, like as a child. <laughs> and it has, it has little eye holes, so yeah. you could see the prime head. <laughs> Which is inside. also kind of weird because why would you need to see that? Why would you need that to be the case? It's not a Halloween mask. Well, uh, it's because it's an old toy from an old toy yeah. line where the idea was it was it was meant to be a powered up version of Convoy, no, aka sure. Prime. So in in the in the Diaclone was that just Prime again or Convoy as he would have been yeah. called? Yeah, yeah, it was Prime in a, in a new in a new suit of armor. Yeah, but but like I think I remember particularly that like his. I think in the catalogue he had a silver face, which is what he has in the in the cartoon as well. But like it was just yeah, yeah they just hadn't bothered they just hadn't bothered to do any colouring on the toy. And I think the prime thing was completely white as well. It had no colouring on it, and it was just so incredibly lazy. <laughs> Michael is correct. Although the first run of Ultra Magnus did have a painted face, both on his smaller and larger robot modes, a running change was made whilst he's on the shelves. The later version featured unpainted faces. That's not all. The cheap bastards at Hasbro replaced his rubber tyres with plastic ones, the originally chromed fuel tanks on the cab were left white, and removed the clear yellow plastic used for his cab windows, leaving just holes instead. This is also the version of Ryan Gear remembers from his childhood. It was very plain. Yeah. And and even by G1 standards, quite quite a brick. Like yeah. it had no virtually no articulation. Very little it had no leg articulation <laughs> at all. It was just just the arms could move. Uh, yeah, and, and you, I suppose the you could turn are, the head. The arms are good, but it, I think it's a bad <laughs> toy. I don't, I don't like Ultra Magnus. No, there's there's been much better versions of him since. Yeah, I quite like Ultra Magnus. I mean, I think you know he's he's quite a good design actually. Yeah, it looks good. Like I like him in the movie. Oh, um, that's one thing. Did you know that in the movie, this was a scene that was cut from the original movie. They were originally meant to. Uh, the the sweeps and the uh, the armada were going to lasso oh, yeah. him with like laser lassos and and pull yeah. him apart. I heard that. 
Savage. <laughs> <laughs> and they removed it because they thought it was a bit too brutal. I, th- I, th- I think there was another scene that they, they didn't make where they were, it was going to be like a kind of char- last charge of the Autobots and they were going to show you like a- pretty much absolutely every character from the cartoon was going to be gunned down in like one scene. <laughs> and, 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 oh, that would have been wonderful. They didn't make it. I think they storyboarded it. But I mean, and you... yeah, I think you're right. I think there was meant to be a quite, there was meant to be some really violent stuff. I, I think I read about this and apparently there's, there's no, there's no actual proof that this was a thing, but it's a, it's a massive rumour that's yeah, been going on for so, a very long yeah, time. Yeah, people have mentioned it. I mean, you see like Wheeljack is, you know, bit like just dead on the floor. Mm. Yeah, just they didn't even need to have him on the floor. They could have just That's the only point he's in the movie. No, they were, no, they were just dragging another dead body. Brutal. Yeah. And then again, it's and it's the only point during the entire movie when anyone shows any remorse mm. for anyone who's died, apart from obviously Otto's Prime. Yeah. I think RC has a bit of a moment and then Oh right, let's get on with this then. Well, yeah. Transform Autobots. Yeah, Springer's like, and, uh, come and help me move this missile launcher. Stop looking well, at what? them. <laughs> why is everything this is another thing. Why is everything so manual? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like that. Actually. I, I, I think I wrote this down in my notes. I was like, the manual transformation of Autobot City is like a fantastic sequence. It's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sure, it doesn't really make sense, but like, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a nice little sequence, and it gives everybody something to do. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's, it's just when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, why is this all manual? Why don't you just have one button that does this? <laughs> <laughs> But, but but like because it's cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it works. And that that whole scene when they're pushing that um, that launcher, launcher and yeah. firing it and so on, that's really good. And you get a, you get a bit of character moment, a character moment between yes. like the, the guys doing it. It gives the character something to do. You get a bit of interplay between RC and Hot exactly. Rods. It's much better than everyone standing around just spouting exposition at each other yeah. in a kind of headmastery kind of way, <laughs> and then and then they have a fight. Although I put in my notes that they miss with the missile launcher, though, after all that effort. I thought they hit Devastator, but he just, he just didn't fall over because he's too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think they did hit him at least once. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, also the other thing about the toys was that um, this was around about the time that Hasbro took over as lead designers of the line, mm. um, whereas previously Takara had been doing it, yeah. which is why things go very, very off the rails after this point <laughs> and you get pretenders and action masters and all sorts of crazy stuff that um is less they're kind of less intricate and more kind of like well this doesn't really transform it's just got a guy inside it or uh you know yeah well i mean i i guess i, I suppose they were you know trying to make new things mm, and yeah. they were like we they, they they sort of these days it's like it feels like these these kind of toy lines just recycle They'll just sort of cycle through, and then there'll just be like a new version of the characters you knew. Mm-hmm. I quite yep. like that about about Hasbro's approach, where they're just like, "Nope, it's like you're going to have a new new wow. set of characters every year." I absolutely wish they still did it. Yeah, I honestly do, because as a twilight exists right now, it is just that. It is just right. Who are we redoing today? Which G one character hasn't been updated for the last six months? Yeah, like how, how many versions of Prime are there in G one? I think it's three. hundreds. <laughs> Well, no, no, but if if you take just G one up to oh, just G one, yeah. three. I think it's three. Yeah, it's original Prime, Power Master Prime, and Action Master Prime. I think. Yep. Yeah, that's it, pretty much. And like Action Masters is like a lap of a lap of honor anyway, where they just like do little figures of all the characters, you know. Yeah, Action Masters was kind of the point where they first started that let's redo things uh, thing. Yeah, I suppose maybe you. Could, I suppose maybe you could say the. Um, 
the classic pretenders as well because you had a new yeah a new bumblebee a new jazz and a new um that's funny Grimlock. yeah quite bad i think they're quite quite bad toys mm. those ones are. none of those none of those were satisfying depictions of those characters bumblebee became was goldbug for a while which is a oh, thing yeah. he was yeah yeah at least there was a new toy though that wasn't it, it okay it turned into a vw throttle bots <laughs> yeah and i mean obviously as we we're just alluding to this movie's had a huge effect on the toys since. We've seen these characters done over and over and over again to the point that uh, now, because it is now 35 years since that movie came out. In fact, this podcast is going to go out in December, which was, it was 35 years ago to this month oh, that it came out. December release. Yeah, in, in the UK. It was released a few months earlier in the US. In the UK, it came out in December 1986. So now it's 35 years later, there's a, t- a toy line, Transformers toy line called the Studio Series. And for a long time, it's been about making movie accurate versions of the Michael Bay movie stuff. Ooh. But this year, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but this year, they started a subline called Studio, L- Studio Series 86, which is recreations of all those characters from the movie, from the mm-hmm. Transformers the movie, which are pretty nice. I know that um, Dave's got quite a few of them. Yeah, I've got I've got some of them. Yeah, yeah. I think they're pretty good for that aesthetic for that movie. Sort of a weird, you know, how they do inspire G one figures and stuff like that, which are still kind of different. This is that movie, and that's what they're really aiming for. Yeah, I mean, it's still they're still a little bit greebly in places, but yeah, yeah. they are not um, for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> they are very um, very inspired by the movie. I mean, I. I saw um, Snarl for the first... Is it Slag. No, Slag. They brought, they brought Slag out again. What's he called, you though? Slag. <laughs> Dave, what is Slag's name, though, on the toy? Slug. Slug, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very creative. They, they've realised that Slag's not going to go down so well everywhere. Oh, really? They can't call him Slag? Yeah. I mean, I, I assume it was as in Slag Heat. That is what it's for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the Americans had that term at all. <laughs> no, it's not an insult. It's only in, since in they've America got Jason Statham that they know about it. <laughs> <laughs> what about Ultra Magnus coming back to life very quickly after he died? Well, it, the, the, yeah, the Jonticons can just fix anything, which makes you wonder why they can't just fix everybody else that died. Yes, it does. But, again, going back to that deleted scene, um, instead of being blown up with a cannon. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Originally, in the deleted scene, Ultra Magnus was pulled to pieces, so they just need to put the pieces back together. It would make more sense. Yeah. It would make more sense if that was actually what had happened, but I guess they decided it was too unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, they did. Even for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose Ultra Magnus comes back to life because he was really only pulled to pieces. Right, okay. But that's another thing. He, he, he tries to unleash the Matrix and fails, because he doesn't put... Like, well... I think Michael, you mentioned this. Yeah, here's here's a, here's a um, <laughs> yeah here, here's here's something that occurred to me. It's like, did was was Hot Rod or I'm not? I think maybe he's actually Rodimus by this point already. But what mm. was he? Was he basically only able to open the Matrix because he put his fingers in those little holes? Because no one else <laughs> ever tried that. Um, yeah, it's quite possible. There's a there's a release mechanism. Maybe that's in what there. the touch is, <laughs> and that's what makes you the chosen one. It's just like. No. Just a little bit of lateral thinking and be like, this has got this has got little holes in it. <laughs> or like maybe his fingers fit. Like I guess what what is you know, I suppose what is the mythology here? Apparently Stan Bush 
had some kind of philosophy of the touch. Oh right, did he? Is yeah. He he believed, yeah, I think he was like it's a kind of a life force or, you know, something that makes you special. Oh. Yeah. Well considering you wrote it for a different movie, <laughs> we can take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> oh yeah. Um I don't know if there wasn't I don't think in the movie Cobra there was a scene where <laughs> Sylvester Stallone opened a, a kind of a crystal and destroyed a, a robot or <laughs> a planet. Exactly. Um, so he might just be talking absolute bollocks. Might, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's probably a lot of hindsight in this. <laughs> I, I suppose, like, there's, there's, yeah, there is this sort of hero's journey for Hot Rod. He's flagged early on as potentially a kind of a chosen one. It's all very unclear. But I, I guess the franchise explores this in depth later on. Yeah, I think he gets a bit shafted. In, I think he gets a bit shafted in a way because a, yeah. A, everybody is really upset about Optimus Prime dying. So after that, they kind of go, oh, well, we're going to have to bring Prime back anyway, so Hot Rod can't really be too important. And also, they do that bit at the beginning, which, you know, where, where he basically causes Optimus Prime to, give, to be killed. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of his fault, like, <laughs> yeah. actually, which is not really... I guess, cause, again, because they whipped through everything so much, there's very little, like, little introspection about that. <laughs> Time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the original idea was for it to be his redemption would be to destroy Unicron, but everyone just blames him for Optimus Prime's death. <laughs> but then gets over it very quickly as well. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the fans, the though. fans, the fans yeah. hate him for this. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah, mm. how quickly do they bring back Prime in the in the US cartoons? Very quickly, <laughs> pretty quick, and they kill him. They kill him again, though. He comes back for like an episode or two, and they kill him again, and then bring him back later. <laughs> Why not? Mm. Yeah, well, that, that, that's. I guess that's. I mean, I think I've said before, but I think that becomes almost Prime's character <laughs> after. Yeah. You know, through the whole thing, really. After this, is like Prime dies. That's what he does. I actually want to talk about that episode because it's. Uh, they visit. I think uh, Daniel wants to find out what Ultra Magnus's birthday is, and for some reason they have to go to a, a memorial or some sort of uh, cemetery for everyone who died in the movie. So that's when you see Prime again, because they go oh, wow. and visit like, the gravesides of all the Transformers who died in the movie, and uh-huh. Prime comes back by some sort of Quintesson shenanigans. and He comes back as a zombie. As a or zombie or something, yeah. I heard of a zombie Prime. <laughs> and he gets blown up. Dave's Swiss cheese-like memory of Transformers lore is becoming a running theme of this podcast. What he is remembering are two separate and completely unrelated episodes of the Transformers Season 3, Dark Awakenings and Surprise Party, and he's mashing them together into a narrative that is admittedly no more confusing than what actually happened. What happened regarding Optimus Prime's first resurrection as a sort of zombie does involve the Quintessons, but it has nought to do with Ultra Magnus's birthday. I mean, in, in the comics, like, I think Rodimus is, like, a big character in the comics. He is, yeah. Yeah. He's quite, he's quite important. But he's also got a lot of kind of... He struggles existentially with his uh, his role as leader. He's not a comfortable <laughs> leader. So, so does Prime, though, actually, yeah. doesn't he? Oh, yeah, Prime does constantly. He's constantly hand-wringing about what, he, what he's done to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Which is only fair, really, to be honest. I mean, in in um, I mean, we're sort of going. This is quite a big digression now, but but I, I mean, I think the other major time I'm aware of that Prime dies is in the comics, and it's quite a strange situation where he goes and fights Megatron in a video game. Yeah, they sort of agree to this so he doesn't harm anyone innocent, and then he accidentally kills these little goblins that are yeah. in the video game. <laughs> 
But he's, he's been tricked though, hasn't he, by by Megatron somehow? Yeah. But then but he, he's and not aware the end, of that. He, he wins the game, yeah. and then he says, "Because I killed these little like pixelated goblins, I want you to blow me up." <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's stupid. I mean, it's like it doesn't really make any sense because it's like I mean, the whole point. Of- Luckily, though, the guy has copied his brain onto a onto, floppy disk. Onto a 3.5 inch floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is then put in a filing cabinet for a number of yeah. years, I think. And just left there for a while. And then they bring him back. So, I mean, I thought it was it was odd. I mean, I get it. It's like, he's like, I've still failed. But, but I mean, they, they, they were just like little computer guys. Like, he didn't <laughs> kill anyone. And also, I mean, shouldn't he like stick around and like, he's now just letting Megatron go to cause, cause hassle. Yeah. He could just step down. Could he could have done it? He could have done a lot of things, but I think like <laughs> blow me up is extreme. Like, it, voluntarily, yeah. Absolutely. I, I always found it odd. I was like, I don't know why. I mean, they could have killed Prime in a bunch of ways, and I don't really know why they went for this. Well, I think well, I think part of the story was that Megatron insisted that everyone have like a bomb put in their head, and then the 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 victor of of this computer game would blow up the ones that lost. Yeah, that's that is. Something and then when that. they came out of it, Optimus Prime went, "Well, I know I won, but I won by cheating or something, or I hurt somebody. So uh, in that case, I must die." Yeah, uh, I, I, it was silly. I, yeah. I really like that. That that's really that. <laughs> Did you want to mention anything about the different color of Hot Rod? Since that's a big thing with the fans, is his which color Hot Rod is. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Um. So it it is a, it is a big deal amongst some fans. Um. That Hot Rod, all the Hot Rod toys were red, whereas he's pink in the movie. And isn't he different colours and different versions of the I'm, movie? I've never, I've, I've never <laughs> noticed that in my life. I thought it was just like shaded a bit different for the movie because you know <laughs> just because it's on the movie. I don't know. No. What it is, is that the theatrical version, the colour saturation is, is different. And that's the one that a lot of people have seen. That's the one where he looks pink. Mm. But the version that came out on DVD, especially the one that we all saw, or especially the one that I saw as yeah. a kid, or on VHS, mm. the saturation was turned way mm. up. So, so Hot Rod looks red. So I always thought he was red. I think Hot Rod is red. <laughs> but... He is actually quite a kind of pink, kind of magentary colour. And there, mm-hmm. apparently, originally, the, the very first prototypes of Hot Rod were pink. And then, he, and then they switched to, to, a, to a red colour for um, the actual production toy. So huh. there's a small but vocal section of the fandom that really want a pink <laughs> Hot Rod. Which is fine. I, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't need it to be pink. So. <laughs> So we want one that was in line with the level of saturation used in the version of the movie that we saw as kids. <laughs> so that's, that's the take. It's essentially that, yeah. Or rather, or right, rather, the right. feeling is that the saturated version is the incorrect version, and that's the one they went with for the colouring of the toy. Um, I think Hot Rod's red. Mm. Yeah, me too. I'm afraid to say that's, that's my that's my final <laughs> that's that's my take. Yeah, Hot Rod is. I mean, it makes sense. He's called Hot Rod. He's got flames on the bonnet. He should be red. Yeah, well, why would he be pink? I, I guess as a, 
I, you know, a child of, of G1, I just was used to things not being exactly the same colour or looking the same. That that was just completely normal. Exactly. Mm, Water off a duck's back. And I thought the toy looked better in red. Yeah. But what were you going to say, Dave? I was going to say, I, I really like the... Um, thinking about that as the term, as like the character designs, I really like the the choice of like almost well not all of them but most of the main new the new main characters have like three shades of the same color yeah 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 i know what you mean yeah they they're kind of yeah they they're not they're not kind of, there's not so much contrast is there yeah like with the the junkie on yeah, like blurs or like gray blues yeah blur springer they're all just kind of just that sort of characterizes that that wave in terms of color oh i know i know why dave likes it why it's it's very pa- it's very power rangers <laughs> it is. Oh. <laughs> you've got the green one, you've got the red one, you've got the pink one. Oh, yes, I need that. That's a new shelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's an idea for a photo now. That's great. I love that. <laughs> what we like to do when we review something is mark the movie, mark the movie or whatever we're watching. Um, on a scale of wheelie to something good. So your favourite characters in this movie, which is going to be confusing now because we're going to have to use characters from this movie to rate this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so since you brought it up, Dave, would you like to go first? What character would you choose best to describe Transformers the movie? Um, uh, I was really toss up between Unicron and Galvatron because I think they're the standout ones for me for this film. But I think I went with Unicron's head. Um, Uh at the end just because I feel like this movie is just always around us now like it's it's part of the fandom it's always (laughs) circling us in some shape or form we hear the songs we think of this movie yeah it's just all all between us I think it's it's so like well yeah like a moon like it's it's small but it's very significant to the fandom it's quite sure I mean any real fan would agree that this is the best movie only movie Transform for Transformers, you know, and <laughs> it's it's certainly the best movie that's been made about Transformers. Yeah, right, so. it's um, it's great, <laughs> and I think that you ask you ask anyone from that time period or anyone who's actually seen it, they've got some sort of connection to it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I may have sprung this on you, Michael, but do you uh, do you have any ideas? Yeah. Okay. I, I've got. Well, if if um if I thought this uh, the movie was a character in the movie, I, it, it's kind of Rodimus actually, because this is the if if Transformers is on a hero's journey, this is the point where it grows up and takes takes charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. He is, and he's the central character, and it is very much the. Uh... Well, he is the main character as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ch- it changes the status quo quite a lot. So. Yeah, I know he's a good one. I mean, the, the toy was good actually of Rodimus. I think I I loved Hot Rod. Rodimus was eh. okay. Space Winnebago. Winnebago is a bit. <laughs> He had thin leg. He had thin, unarticulated legs. He did, yeah. They've made better ones of him since, but yeah, he was a he was a very yeah. Hot Rod was nice though. I liked Hot Rod. Good to yeah, good toy, yeah, solid. But um, okay, so my choice is also Unicron, but for different reasons, and it's all of Unicron, not just his head. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, the reason is that just like Unicron, this this movie is big, epic, Mm. over the top, very eighties. And just a little bit silly, and and also, I mean, it, it's just a, an amazing addition to the uh, to the Transformers mythology, Unicron. Yeah, yeah. A proper scary big bad. Yeah, 
Unicron's a scary <laughs> idea. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So there you go. That's my uh, that's my choice. And that, my friends, is a podcast. One of the big tentpole subjects of the Transformers franchise ticked off the list. What an achievement! Uh, what did you think, dear listeners? Did we miss anything? Did we talk a lot of sense, or was it a load of absolute twaddle? Let us know on social media. You can contact us on Facebook, where there is an Arg My Optics page. I am on there as Orion Gear, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Gear Orion and Orion underscore Gear, respectively. Virtual Dave is an Instagram-only kind of guy, so where can they find you? Virtual Dave 26 on Instagram. Thank you. And talking of thank yous, a round of applause for our returning guest and good friend of the podcast, Michael Quintazon. Thanks for joining us again. Woohoo! Oh, well, no, it was a pleasure. Thank you again. No, no, great. I hope you enjoyed it. So, if you enjoyed this as much as Dave, Michael and myself, why not express that enjoyment by liking, subscribing, sharing and so on? We really appreciate it. Our next episode will be a very special one. Not only will it be the first of 2022, but it will also be the first one where Dave and I are recording in the same room. Yay! Yeah. Dave will be travelling down to my abode to share a mulled wine, exchange prezzies, and reveal our top-of-the-box rundown of our favourite action figures of 2021. What were our favourite figures? You'll only find out if you join us next time on... Ah, my optics! optics.